Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. As we travel around in our TARDIS, we are moving our way through the Doctors, and we've reached Doctor no, 1.5. Um, we're going to be talking about Peter Cushing and the, the movie Doctor from the 60s. And we're going to be talking about the second of the films, uh, Dalek's Invasion of Earth 2150, or just Doctor Who and the Invasion of Earth. Um, this was released in 1966 and is a, a movie adaptation of one of the first Doctor stories. So, Julian, what were your th- initial thoughts and uh, knowledge of this film? Magnets. It's all done with magnets. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm a huge fan of the first two Dalek serials uh, mm. on the original show. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, Dalek mania took over britain and you know there were dalek toys and dalek puppets and everything daleks and you know i mean there was talking about a dalek separate spin-off tv series at one point Mm -hmm. um which i would have loved i don't know what the plot would have possibly been but um you know so i i find both of these films quite watchable um i don't know when i became aware of them but i watched them relatively early in my sort of deep dive into doctor who uh and enjoyed them mm. what about you yeah the, the, the both this and and the first one are ones that sort of i remember as a kid being on like a sunday afternoon like there was that thing of like you know whatever channel it was would have those sort of like those sort of like sunday afternoon films. they're always older films they're always sort of like films from british 60s films seem to fill up sunday afternoons uh, and this is one of those ones i'm like i know it uh you know and, and again watching this time i'm like i have like yeah like memories of seeing this as a kid on like bbc2 but like never sort of going oh yeah that's a doctor who thing <laughs> like mm. Um, but it's, it's 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 sort of good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, and it, considering this is obviously you know the budgets are pretty low, um, it's it, it's kind of good. It's it's one of these things that certain things have dated and not dated well. Mm. Um, in terms of movie making and and some of the storytelling, which we'll get into. So this time going in with the critical eye. And like removing that sort of you know childishness, I was like, and weirdly, like it stands aside to me for the TV show. Like there are certain things I would let the TV show get away with, but watching this, I wouldn't. And I don't. And we'll we'll get into that. So I may be kind of critical at points. It is weird seeing it in color, right? I mean, yeah. You know, and then the, seeing the color Daleks too, which you know are sort of like, you know, so far ahead of the revive show that does that. Uh, you know, of course, they're looking at the black and white and saying, well, what does this look like in color? Well, who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that you do. You get like a clear hierarchy of colors as well within mm. the Daleks, which is, which is kind of cool. Um, 
But no, let, let's quickly, let's quickly jump in uh, with a bit of a summary because there's a few things worth pointing out. So, uh, Constable Tent Tom Campbell, uh, played by Bernard Cribbs. I was wrong, by the way. I wanted to put a correction. In the last episode, I said it was Roy Castle. Roy Castle appears in the first film. This is obviously the second film. This is Tom Cribbins, sorry, Bernard Cribbins, who does come back and spends time with the Tenth Doctor. Um, complete side. Anyway, so Tom Campbell, Constable Tom Campbell, um, is embroiled in a jewellery heist um, and whilst pursuing the criminals is hit over the head uh, and finds himself at the foot of a police phone box. He enters the phone box but finds it's actually not a phone box. It is, of course, the Doctor's TARDIS. Uh, he falls unconscious uh, and the Doctor, played by Peter Cushing and accompanied by his granddaughter, Susan, and uh, niece, um, whose name I can't find, um, basically kind of kidnap him yes. <laughs> and, and take him on a trip to the year 2150. When they arrive there, they find that the, the uh, London, at least, uh, is in ruins uh, as there has been an invasion by Daleks. Uh, and through a series of adventures, uh, they find the Daleks have robot men that police the area, but a rebellious force is building up uh, and they pursue... Well, they basically travel to the south of England to find a mine and something that the Daleks are looking to dig up. Uh, and when they're there, they encourage a rebellion. They fight back and use the Earth's magnetic force <laughs> to destroy the Daleks and drive them from planet Earth. And eventually returning back to 1966, uh, slightly earlier than they left, allowing Constable Tom to stop. No, not sorry, not even stop. <laughs> the no. jewelry heist, but basically catch the, the the criminals and drive them off to prison uh, to gain a promotion uh, and the doctor to do whatever the hell he wants. It's a kind of sort of simple plot, and I'm going to have questions about quite a few things in this. But let's start with the simple one. We've obviously talked about do- the first doctor, Peter Cushing being the doctor. What what are your thoughts on that first and foremost? Uh, I, he's not a very good doctor. I think he. No. Um, He's very unremarkable. He is the least he's not important, really. And, yeah. you know, we talked in the uh, previous episode about how the doctor initially was sort of not the main character. Mm. That is even more true in these movies uh, where, you know, I mean, Cushing has more of the star name, but mm-hmm. um, just really has very little interesting to do. Yeah, and the same. It's, it's nice to see him because I always like seeing Peter Cushion in these, you know, in, in these sort of like sixties and fifties films. But he's hidden under like a silly mustache and wig. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's sort of like taking on, you know, he's, he's hunched over and he's obviously doing his thing to look even older. Like, he, yeah, he basically drives the TARDIS there and back, and that's about it for the point of the story. And at, at the end, he comes up with the, the, the magnetic thing, but he's not the dice through britain to for a while i mean that's about yeah. it yeah yeah it's it sort of uh he's like it's not the dynamic doctor that we would get to know within a couple of generate uh, regenerations but he does seem more mobile than the grandpa doctor you know that mm-hmm. we've seen previously um you know he of course he's played by a much younger actor so um i'm just amazed at how you know we've seen a lot of movies over the course of this podcast and i'm just amazed at how prognostic this movie is you know i mean they go forward 
all the way to the 1980s, and it looks exactly like Thatcher's Britain. <laughs> there was two. Th- I, I wanted to comment on this of like, because um, th- this is sort of like loaded with, and this seems to be as a thing with British TV, loaded with working class, um, y- you know, British things. And there's there's two things. The two things I wanted to highlight is we talked when we did the Quatermass episodes about how cool would it be to have a crossover between Doctor Who and Quatermass? Well, technically, in a weird way, we kind of get it in this set in this film because the lead um, guy, uh, Weir, or Wheeler, let me just double-check his name. Um, uh, yeah, Wheeler, W-Y-L-E-R. He's one of the lead sort of the Re- Rebellions guys. It's played by Andrew Keir, mm-hmm. who a year after this would play Quatermass in Quatermass in the Pit. Mm. Um, so that was, I didn't know that, and I saw him on screen. And I was like, "Hang on, I know your face." And then I checked in, so that was quite exciting. The other thing, though, the robot men. Mm. Now, ten years after this film comes out, a certain law enforcement uh, comic character hits the screen with a red and black helmet with a reflective visor and a black shiny sort of suit. It has other accoutrement on it. But no one can tell me that sort of like Carlos Esquera or John Wagner mm. didn't watch this when they made D- Judge Dredd. It is it is very I hadn't thought of Judge Dredd, but it is very it's the kind of thing that it, it was. I kept thinking um, I've seen this many times since and I don't know exactly in what. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The Robot Men really made me think of Judge Dredd. Like not in you know in, obviously that's yeah. more stylized but like just that the the red sort of flash of the top of the helmet the reflective sort of like it was shaped to go around the eyes and I was like oh this this you know not enough to be plagiaristic but like that's an right. influence most definitely an influence um but no I liked all that that stuff I already liked I thought that was really cool like some of the design aspects and like, even like the Dalek ship that mm. you know flies around and stuff it all looks really cool. Well, um, except for they call it a flight, a flying saucer, and they say, "Well, it certainly looks like a flying saucer." Yeah. Well, it has a flying saucer as part of its design, yeah. but that's like saying the Enterprise is a flying saucer. You know, well, it has a saucer, but yeah, oh, and there are fl- a lot of things like that that are very strange in this, um, a- a- including. Um, you know, it's the stereotype of Doctor Who is that as soon as anybody enters the police box, they say, oh, it's big around the inside. And here, Tom Campbell is inside. He's kidnapped to 2050. Yeah. And it's only as he comes out that it's like it's as if he remembers to mention this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. One of the things I like is, like he let, you know, it's all ruined. Like how quickly he adapts mm, mm-hmm. to this thing of like, oh, we've got it's in ruins. And he's like, oh, we've gone forward in time. Why they chose 2150, like, he's never explained. It's just, we're just going to 2150. Why? I don't know. Sounds a nice round number. Um, And so, like, when he comes out, it's in ruins. Yeah, like, you know, there's no sort of, like, shock and awe that, like, Mm. sorry, we've travelled through time and, you know, and, like you say, it's bigger on the inside and all this other stuff, like... (laughs) You, and also, like, you appear to have brought your very young granddaughter. Susan in this is much younger than in mm. the TV show. Yes. And so there are elements of this which will... will there's pl- subplots which will work in the show mm. that do not work in this in this film. 
Yeah, and in fact, in the in the original version of this as a serial, um, she is old enough that she uh, is paired off with a future guy from this ruined Earth, and she stays. This is the last Susan oh, really? appearance. Yes, and it's it's quite remarkable. It's the first time that they write off a companion, and at the end, she basically just says like grandfather and he says yes i know you know like you you want you're in love and you want to stay. And I was like, why would you leave her in this ruined earth it's clearly yeah. you're never going to visit again like this is not a permanent fixture of doctor who continuity like you left her in a future that's going to be erased you know yeah. it's very bizarre talking about being erased because we're going to get into details of this this is the other massive problem i have with the end of this show at the end of this film mm-hmm so they find out that what can defeat the Daleks and the doctor makes a point of it, it was under your feet all along, you know, the work, the earth's magnetic core, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then, and they call this out that they have a time machine because mm-hmm. they take Tom back to a few moments to, uh, before the jewelry heist appears. Now I've got enough problems with that because he goes back into his own continuity and he's not there. Right. So, and yeah. also the, the TARDIS appears in the same place. So, but <laughs> I think you're supposed to forget that. However, right. it shows that they can adjust when they go back in time. And they now have information that would help defeat the Daleks. Yes. So, no, at no point does the Doctor say, when did they invade? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, they invaded in 2146. Right. Well, we're going to pop back to 2146 with this information about how they, and we're actually going to save the Earth and its vast population. I think this is something I, you're quite right. And I think this at the end of this is very strange. And I think it works so much better in the show because, you know, in the show, you just sort of accept and it's stupid. I mean, one of the things that I hate about Doctor Who is the the constant reasons not to use the TARDIS, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is a fixed moment in time. You can't change. You know, what are you talking about? You have a time machine. Go back two minutes and save somebody. Um, but there's always an excuse. Uh, but you sort of accept it because that's the format and you're going to have to live with that for like eight episodes or whatever. Mm. Um, but in an 80-minute movie, it, it's it, that then you don't see him you know, the other version of him. They make a point about coming back or you don't. And it's very, very strange. And then on top of that, to you've seen like the earth ruin. And <laughs> it's vi- I mean, look, one another weird thing about Doctor Who is how much Britain is the center of f- the focus. Certainly, it is strange that if you want to drill to the center of the earth, you're going to do it in the south of, of England. <laughs> and that's just everybody knows. Not uh, not even well known for mines. <laughs> like, you know, go to somewhere where they're like, go to Wales or something where like they're well known for mines. Where they're like, well, they've already made it halfway down. Might as well go the rest of the way. Like, it or, makes no sense. Or fly to the Marianas Trench underwater. Yes. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, it's so bizarre. <laughs> but OK, I'm willing to bracket that and forget that. But it's very strange, like, it does reference that the rest of the planet has been, the Daleks have pelted the rest of the planet with meteorites, and it's clear that this ruined human civilization is not limited to Britain. Mm -hmm. Mm. Given that, I mean, you have seen a global apocalypse. (laughs) To reduce that to a policeman gets a promotion for stopping bank robbers (laughs) is so 
weird and insulting. <laughs> well, it's the fact of like th- this is the thing, and one of the things I would say is Bernard Cribbins, a uh, wonderful actor, National Treasure, and so the stuff, right? He was known for comedy. He's a mm-hmm. sitcom actor. Like he's done dramatic stuff later in life, but he was known for co- comedy predominantly. Like he'd been in a couple of like I think the the Carry On films. He'd done sort of sitcoms, and so. And you see it in this film. Yeah. Like every chance they're like, oh, they're gonna, we're going to do a bit of comedy. And it just sort of feels like if this policeman walked up to me in 1966, I think I would laugh in his face as well. Like he has no authority. He has no sort of presence mm-hmm. in this way. And all the things I haven't had a chance, I didn't have a chance to watch the original series. I have seen it in the past, but like the Tom that's in that, what's, is, is he any better like does he have a does he come across in a similar way or is he is is it is it still leaning towards that comedy because i was thinking back to us when we watched the aztecs and you had the character the the male and he was a geography teacher or some stuff and he was like oh i'm gonna go out and battle like aztec warriors and i'm thinking like this this copper wouldn't have survived long in aztec culture right yeah, I don't I don't remember. I mean, at that time, I don't even remember if he's a part of the original serial, because at that time I was struggling with this because at that time there was that that guy from is that Tom? Is he he's named I, Tom? The, I think so. From I will the check. Let, me, let me just go check. But yeah, it, it just felt like, um, you know, sort of like an, a weird sort of tone thing. So Roy, Roy Castle plays Ian. It was Ian. Was the name of the character in the first one? Yeah, he was the teacher. He was introduced in the first episode, and so he's he's just a part of the show. Here, I mean, I think Tom is uh, original to this. So Tom may be an original element from. Yeah. Um, Probably as a vehicle for. Yeah, like um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you say, sort of a. Uh, a viewer's, a viewer's sort of point of view sort of character. Well, and to give Cribbins a, a sort of role that, that fit him, I guess. Possibly, they say, but it's the fact that, like I say, it does keep leaning into um, the comedy. Um, and it just doesn't work uh, repeatedly. Um I'm trying to look if there's anything. Like, I can't see. Maybe you know. I, I'm not going to Google it about sort of companions, but um, yeah, it's it's just bizarre. It's just a weird one where it's sort of like they keep trying for things. Like they, you know, he's willing to chase people down and stuff. Like you know, they hear some noise and he chases them down and stuff. And then he goes, then he falls through a door. But it's almost like a whoops, sort of like you know, they play it for comedy repeatedly, and I'm just like it, it, it jars with the tone. Um. Like it feels like he should be a bit more of a man of action kind of figure, um, yeah. To sort of integrate with the sort of the rebels from the future, right? And he's just played for comic relief, and mm. those scenes don't really work. I mean, I understand that like comedy has changed, and sort of physical comedy is is not as prized today. Um, but you know, watching him sort of like imitate one of the Robo Men, you know, and and eating food and stuff, it's like, don't they notice he's not one of them. Mm. Um, yeah, um, both Ian and Barbara were re- essentially replaced by Tom Campbell who and Louise, who are new to the uh, Cushing movies. 
So right. yeah. Okay. So it was a new okay, it was a new setup to because they wanted to have a new entry point characters. Fair enough, that makes sense. It, it just feels jarring in that sense because mm. there's several because one of the things I, I, I like about some of these parts of this film is it does sometimes go for like dramatic impact. Mm. Yeah. You know, you, you know, I you do get that thing of when you meet the future rebels. I'm like, oh, they're the story I want to I want to follow. Mm-hmm. Like those all those characters are good. Like you know, the Wyler, like I said, the sort of the the Andrew Kier, the guy in the wheelchair, uh, the younger guy with the knife. Like all those characters, I'm like, oh, it's their story. Like that's the group crew I want to see. That's who I'm interested in following. Well, and there's a strange shift in tone in this, isn't mm. there? Because you know, the Tom stuff is comedy, and you'll have, you know him stuck on the Dalek ship doing a comedy routine and then you'll cut to like harsh realities of like not having enough food and the guy in the wheelchair you know dying to try to take out a few Daleks and it's like oh this is effing dark you know yeah yeah and it's the dark stuff I like I mean I agree like this is where I was watching it and going like I was thinking the same thing like oh if this had like lent into that and taking it so and the thing was watching this uh, and this you know just me i couldn't help but think of like the quatermass movies because mm. it's, a, it's a comparison piece and how they had because the tv show's not like let's be clear like the doctor who series isn't comedy like at this point like it was you know it's not it's not dark but it has mm. its moments i'm even talking about the aztec stuff last week you know it talked about human sacrifice it talked about you know changing people's religion it had all these other stuff in like it was quite I don't oh, think there's a is there a comedic moment in there? Not, not really. Four episodes. No. I mean, no, yeah. it's constantly trying to present a dramatic story, right? And so I can imagine that the the, the serial of this is the same. And then so when I don't, I thought this was Hammer. I don't think it is Hammer that actually did this, but like um, when the 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 um, uh, Quatermass films get tra- of serials get translated into a film that they maintain that tone. Yeah, granted, in the first two, you get grumpy American Quatermass, but it's still very much that tone. It's a dramatic thriller. Like th- Each one of them is a dramatic thriller. And I'm, I'm watching this and going like, yeah, this could have been and should have been way more of that tone. Like, I'm not saying, you know, like horror or sort of like hard-hitting thriller, but like stick with what is, you know, working. This should have been way more affecting than it, than it is. No, I agree. And I think that, I mean, I, of course, I'm a fan of those those first two Dalek serials. I mean, the third one is is partially lost, so I've mm-hmm. never seen it all the way through. But um, no, I, I'm totally with you. And it feels as if, like, they wanted to insert uh, Cribbins as a character, you know, and play up to his strengths. It's sort of like, you know... Oh, heavenly dog! Like, well, Chevy Chase and Lassie are both popular. Let's put them together in a movie. We've yeah. got Daleks, we got Cribbins. What could yeah. go wrong? But I, I do feel like, I mean, you know, I didn't share this earlier, but just about like sort of my general impression is that um, everything in the like, there's no aspect of this plot that isn't terribly wrong in some way. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's just wrong-headed, and yet it is fun to watch, mm-hmm. and it most and it is very watchable. It mostly works, 
all that dark future stuff like is fantastic. You know, watching characters get mowed down by the Daleks, even if they're, you know, sort of like they playing up the Nazi stormtroopers and they're using gas and, you know, uh, instead of the laser beams and stuff. I mean, it still works. Um, I mean, it's watching humans get mowed down and watching a resistance. And I mean, that's that's one thing that I loved about, you know, I mean, I, I think you feel this in those first two Dalek serials is you really feel that sense of a threat of the Daleks mm. and that analogy to them being Nazis. Um, and that this is really, um, you know, which has been done with like the Borg. It's been done with the Cybermen, just this idea of the depersonalization yeah. of, you know, the stormtroopers um, of the, of the fascist government. And you really feel a sense of threat and you really feel like, no, this is war and we're not going to defeat the Daleks without a bunch of people dying. And I love that. Oh, yeah, no, it's, again, this is that sort of, um, you know, a bit of a double-edged sword in this film, I think. I like the way the Daleks are presented. I like the fact that they've got that sort of claw thing, so they're actually, you know, you see them handling the ship. It's not just a plunger, which I've always felt is a bit silly. And then they have the gun, but like you say, the gas thing sort of works for me. Like as an as an agent of like you know we're gonna it's not a long distance weapon I'll tell you that yeah. Yeah. but I I like the fact that they just basically plow up and they're just like and just like gas these people I, I think it's really effective. However, and this comes down to choreography and planning of certain scenes. When they fight back, when the people fight back, and they start sort of like rebelling against the Daleks, there are a number of times where the Daleks basically sort of hit a curb. And fall over, mm-hmm. and you're just like, no, no, no. <laughs> they don't. They, that should not be the case. I shouldn't. I shouldn't see that. And especially towards the end, there's a bit where there's a ramp on the ship. Yeah. Uh, and they jump on one, and you see it slide backwards, and it falls over, and you just see these like caster wheels on the bottom. And I'm just like, this should have been. Cho- mm-hmm. This could have been choreographed so much better. Yeah. So that that was even in the sixties. Like I've seen other things do it, even on TV, where they're like, well, "We don't want to show this, so we're going to hide that." But this just had this sort of like wide shot of this chaos, and it's like, "How? Why have you never done this? Literally, kick them over. Like that seems yeah. to be all you've got to do. Like kick them over from behind, and you're fine." Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, when they were shooting all these Dalek scenes, including all the Dalek stuff in this period on the on the BBC. You know, the actors would be hot inside. They can't see, you know, and you can see like that same ramp that you're talking about, which is like the access ramp into the UFO. Um, You're talking about, you know, during a fight scene as they roll one back down. But even when they go up it, you can see the Dalek is like about to fall off the ramp (laughs) and sort of corrects himself and goes back left. And there's a, you know, there's another scene where, uh, they've constructed sort of a, a ramp going down to the pit that they're going to drop the bomb into the center of the earth. And that rail, that um, ramp has no guardrails. And you can see like the Dalek is hewing <laughs> right to the inside <laughs> wall. Like there's an actor in there who is terrified that if he goes three inches to the right, he is falling down 20 feet. Yes. I mean, yeah. So there. But, I mean, I do think, and it's true that in the original serial and in the original movie, 
the Daleks, and there's a reference to this, that the Daleks can only move on electrified plating, right? It's mm-hmm. like they're bumper cars, and there's the web of electrified stuff overhead. Um, and so now they're much more mobile. I mean, they do make an effort to make them uh, more threatening in this, but you're quite right. I mean, especially in combat sequences, I think the, and this happens all over in Doctor Who, I mean, even today when they use the Daleks, the worst part for me is a sequence where they defeat a Dalek by throwing a coat over his yes, head. Yeah. So he can't I was going to say that. <laughs> at the mine, at the end. Yeah, they, they throw like a coat over it. And I'm like, again, I'm like, all you're doing is undermining the fact that mm. these have taken over the world. Like, you know, if the military, if all the military needed was like, you know, some ninja and a bit of tarpaulin like you know it's it this should have been over in minutes yeah carry parachutes just whip out that parachute and throw <laughs> it over some daleks you're done it even and the other the, the other sequence again is when wyler has uh susan in the in that van and they're sort of veering down the road and stuff and that again i, I get what they're going for but it looks like him basically sort of colliding with a bunch of like balsa wood yeah, <laughs> standing because that's what they are that's exactly <laughs> what it is and again it's that thing of going like you know i've seen this done in 60s films better this isn't a lack of budget because you've done some pretty cool stuff this is a lack of thought and inventiveness mm-hmm. of what you're putting on screen and yeah, that, you're absolutely right yeah I mean, um, it, it, yeah, they're keeping shots in, you know, w- w- I mean, that like with the Dalek sliding down. I mean, I found myself thinking that Dalek falls over and there's an explosion. And I thought, is that is that added after the fact or, you know, do they have an explosive device in this Dalek that obviously doesn't have a person in it? And if you can afford that explosion, I mean, does that mean that you just did one take? And if the Dalek falls over and you see the wheels and then the explosion happens. Oh, I, I'm, oh, I'm convinced. That, that's exactly what I'm convinced of. That, <laughs> that, that ambush scene is the first and only take they had. Because if you watch the background, there's a load of other stuff going on. Where you're like, mm. if, this, if this had multiple takes, they'd be like, right, no, uh, sorry, guys in the corner. Can mm. you not do what you're doing? Can you try <laughs> this instead? Um, I think there's also a scene similar to that i think it's when they go into the towards the end um it is it's, it's when they sort of they realize that you know the, the the doctor gets hold of the microphone and sort of says mm. robot men attack the daleks this order that. can't be countermanded yes yeah which you know again i if that's the you know, this is the other thing like if that had been set up as the only control panel right. for the things like it's not so it doesn't matter but there's a moment in that when they sort of they start taking off their helmets, which again I'm like, he's not told them to do that. They're just doing right. it. But one of them forgets to do it. Yeah. And so he runs at the Daleks and then he sort of halfway goes, Oh shit, I'm take off. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's one of those things where like any of the directors would be like, stop, 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 right, back to your positions. Remember what we want. We want you to, you know, everyone's got to take their helmet off in unison, then go. Um, and it's things like that when you go like, yeah, you did go, yeah, this was the only take they took of this because this is all they could do. This is what they had the time to do. This is what they had the money to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it, I, I, and so I appreciate that, that that's what they had to do. But um, yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, you and I have 
we kind of dig in you know, all B movies and yeah. low budget stuff, and and that stuff doesn't bother me as much. I, I I'm looking at apparently the budget was just over a uh, quarter million pounds, right. um, you, you know, in '66. But you know, it's surprising because I mean, on the one hand, the sort of fad for the Daleks meant that anything they did was going to do okay, mm. right? So phone it in. On the other hand. The first film did well. It did well enough to make a sequel. Mm. Why did you not, you know, budget uh, an additional take or something? Yeah, it, it, well, that was the mentality, wasn't it? You've just said it. Like, they're like, oh, well, we know Daleks are a big thing. We don't need to put as much effort in. We know this is going to make money. So let's try and maximize those profits by reducing the budget, which is obviously the mentality for a lot of these things. But like you say, it, us coming at it sixty years later, sort of like you know, fifty years plus later, we 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 look at it and go, yeah, this sucks and that sucks. But like you said, the one thing I would say is again, just to reiterate, it does have a charm. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and again, everything is is wrong. Everything is bad. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I was just thinking of like one of the most preposterous things is you have a mine of human slaves. I mean. Like, okay, I'm willing to accept the sort of, like, robo-men, you know, okay, you know, whatever. They're reprogramming humans and making them slaves. At least they look kind of cool. Um, I'm looking at the poster. It looks, you know, it features the robo-men. It's nice. Mm. Um, but, you know, they have a tool shed that... <laughs> You know, I mean, every time that people are sneaking around, you sort of like have a guy in a Dalek suit going by, coincidentally not looking in his direction. And it is just like there's a tool. I mean, you can murder a Dalek. You can murder a robot, robo man and just slide him under a tarp and nobody will ever <laughs> notice. And, you know, and, and then there's a tool shed that you could just hide in. And I'm thinking like. It's, it, you know. These are not exactly, this is not exactly a Nazi concentration camp. You know, these Daleks are not known for their organization. Mm -hmm. well, <clears throat> well, this is where, you know, the, the, cause I, I, I can't, you know, I don't really know the serial. I'm assuming this, this, there's that bit in it. But you can sort of, one of the things I was, that I found curious is about, because again, like, you know, it, it, my thinking would be, we're going to adapt this into a movie. We need to restrict uh, the locales. Mm -hmm. All right, so we need a we need a mine or we need something. Okay, well, like you said, let's not have it in a mine. Why does the mine have to be in the south coast? Well, we could just actually say, well, the mine is in you know this part of London. Like it doesn't need to be, um, it doesn't need to be this this great travel. But what I can see is that the moment when Susan and Wyler are traveling, they take up that um, they spend a night in with that that those two women. When they get captured, mm -hmm. like I'm watching and going, oh, this is clearly a cliffhanger. Like that's where an, yeah. that's where an episode ended. Was they pull back the curtain? And there's a Dalek there, and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, that's end of episode three in this four part serial. Like that's and uh, there was a few moments where I'm like, oh, they've kept that, and that's why they've kept that because but like, it doesn't need to be. London's big enough <laughs> that if you're on foot. Like, you know, you don't have to be trekking halfway across the country to have, um, you know, this sort of thing. Because the thing as well, I would highlight, you know, don't forget, like, I love it whenever they do this. We've got to get to Southampton. Where is it they go to? Like, they say Southampton or somewhere. But they say, like, 
uh, from London. Bedfordshire. To... Okay, they're going to get to bloody. They're going to get to Bedfordshire. Bedfordshire. Yeah, so they're going to get to Bedfordshire. So I'm going like, how long did they spend in 2150? Yeah. Like, how? Yeah, because it's that thing again where you watch these programs and like you know from somewhere somewhere like you know well we're here in Stratford upon Avon and, and we're now going to travel to London on horseback. Scene two. Right. Here we are in London. Like, how how quick did you did you gallop all the way? Even if you did, that's like you know how many days ride. Well, this is one thing that I really dig about these two serials is that they both like this one is um, six episodes. I think the right. the original Dalek one is like eight, mm. and they really go to other locations. There's like a swamp in the first Dalek mm. one. There's a whole episode that takes place in the swamp. And it's a little slow. It's it's BBC of the time. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they're kind of like thinking of way they're padding out these these episodes, but they're thinking of ways to keep the story going and involve yeah. complications. And clearly that house is sort of a um, complication along the way. Right. Mm. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it is a sort of slim down, radically slim down adaptation of of the serial. But I do like that house. I do like this, mm. you know, this little uh, digression. And usually it, we see that in movies and it's, you know, in war movies, um, you know, the, that's the people who take in the partisans yeah. and, you know, hide them in their attic and, and whatever. Here, they're traitors and they're willing to sell out other humans for a little more food. But you, you could still have that, but have it in London. And right. I was recently, I recently read... Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm a big James Herbert fan. I recently read 48, um, which has this idea that in 1945, instead of losing the war, uh, uh, Hitler unleashes this uh, this final chemical weapon on the world. And the only people that survive are the per person, people with a certain blood type. And then there's these others that are sort of like slight survivors that are hunting down the survivors because they want to do this blood transfusion. Like They know it won't work, but it, it becomes this pursuit thing. But it sort of sets up all over like blitzed London. And there's a couple of things like this, and you sort of think like, yeah, London's big enough that that house could have just been like a bombed out house or a semi destroyed house in London, mm -hmm. and, you know. And it would have, you know, I'm sort of the, like, oh, we could still use the set we had for something else, and we could do this. Like, it doesn't have to be this trek across the country because it does. It sort of elongates pieces when you're like, I'd rather them spend more time doing something else, <laughs> like. Yeah, and the and the London sets are are quite good. I mean, mm. you know, I love the bombed out rubble stuff. I mm. mean, you know, it does recall sort of the Blitz. It does recall sort of like Germany Year Zero kind of uh, you know rubble post war mm. rubble, um, and it feels very much like a dystopia. This is mm. like some serious stuff going on, and then you're sort of in the countryside, and you know it's okay. I mean, they kill two guys and it's like yeah that was that was like another cliffhanger that you just did away presented the threat and eliminated it in a minute yeah um yeah but i mean i'm with you you're, you're right it makes sense this mind doesn't need to be there um i mean I, I think it's weird what's kept and what's not in these adaptations it is and again it's, it's, it's it, one of the things that's most interesting as well uh, as you, you said before about the reasons they can't use the TARDIS. Mm. And again, they present a reason as to why they can't use the TARDIS in this, which becomes a complete moot point within about 10 minutes. Because what happens is they're sort of like, you can't move around at daytime. And you go, okay, so the, the rebels come and get them. 
and they can't shift this girder and this rubble that sits in front of it. But then they go into the rebel base and they're like, what, 30 guys here? <laughs> could could we go back later? I think if you give us a hand, we could be out of here. And we can, you know, then you could just jump in the TARDIS. It's, it's you know, t- uh, time and relative uh, distance to space. We'll just shift, you know, we'll get away and then we'll come back. Like I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Like the Doctor is useless in this. Like at no oh, point yeah. does he go like, oh, well, I've actually got a time machine uh, upstairs. It's got a bit of brick around it. Can you help us move it? And we'll be, we'll be done. Hey guys, I've got a great weapon. You know, I know I'm asking you to help me. Yeah. Uh, and you think that, you know, it's not worth risking your lives for or manpower for. But, dude, I have a time machine. You know, yeah. you're thinking yeah. about the desperate last ditch resistance against the Daleks. Kind of have a trump card here. Yeah, you yeah, need nothing something. Really makes sense. I mean, no, you need something. This is the thing with, you know, um, you need something to set the TARDIS completely off the board. Um, and because it, it just seems because again at the end of the story like they're just back in the TARDIS mm-hmm. and I'm like oh so you, you, you hiked back to life <laughs> and you cleared the rubble all's good all right fine um, Tom's yeah, had his point. uniform Tom's had his uniform ironed <laughs> <laughs> I I always wonder I mean you brought up time I always wonder in these movies about clothing and I wonder yeah. about going to the bathroom. I know this is weird, but, you know, you're talking about, like, the passing of time. And I always think, like, you know, in movies where two people get stranded together and, you know, it's like, yeah, they're wandering off the shit just off camera, you know. Um, how does that go down? Certainly that's a bonding experience um, when you, you know, you're hiding from the government, you know, figuring out how to do this. What do you use for toilet paper? You know, you're figuring this stuff out. Um, when they're put into the prison on the Dalek ship that, you know, when they, the doctor escapes with a comb, um, you know, which kind of works. That's the test to become a robot man. Yeah, you pass the intelligence test. <laughs> I've got problems with that as well. Cause I, it, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. No, go for it. The doctor's the one that's like, I'll pop the comb under it's it breaks the connectivity points and all that other stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, that's an interesting point, you know, using a non-magnetic point. Fine. They then break out and the Daleks go, well, all three of you have passed the intelligence test. Right. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. The doctor did. But, yeah. yeah. Also like if a call, if, if a few millimeters break is enough to do it, you could force that door up. Uh, you don't really need the comb. Yeah. Um, but they're thrown in there, and I'm thinking, like, okay, you're still wearing the same clothes you arrived in. What's going to happen in this little prison the size of a closet when one of you has to go to the bathroom? You know? I don't know. Well, no, you're right, though, because it is this thing of, like, they trek across the country. They all, end up, cause they all end up at the mine, and they've all got this stuff. And again, like, and it, more importantly, because like, you've got um, Tom and, and uh, not Susan, um, the other one, the, the Louise niece, too. Louise. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that they've just met, <laughs> and he's he'll be like, "Well, I can pee in a bush," and she's like, "Well, I've, I've got more problems." And I'm like, "All right, I'm not sure how this works." Like, you know, this is, <clears throat> yeah, and it, it is. It, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's that sort of, um, it's it, it, it. Whenever you spend time with, um, characters like this, it becomes more obvious. 
And the more modern the show is, the more problematic it becomes. Because, like, say Game of Thrones, you sort of go, yeah, you live in a sort of a crap hole anyway. Like, you live in this sort of, like, you know, faux medieval world. Like, I'm pretty sure you're used to this sort of idea. You know, yeah, you're going to, like, say, have a crap in a bush and you're fine. Like, no one cares. You stink anyway. Move on. But, like, yeah, with this, like, you know, these are people that be like, uh, yeah, no, we're used to sort of just like using facilities. Like, how do I manage that? Uh, yeah, this, it's the whole thing with like 24. Like, when you are following someone, mm. like, you know, 24, at like, no point does Jack Bauer go, look, I, I know this briefing's really important, but I'm busting for a piss. Like, I've really got to go. Um, like, so yeah, it does. It's, it, these things do sort of become obvious when you sort of go, how, how long have you been here? Like, how does this work? Yeah, well, I mean, it's you who pointed out the that that time and sort of how much time has elapsed. And mm. yeah, I mean, it's one of the many artificialities of this. And it's strange because all the stuff that I like is the sort of hard bitten. I mean, basically, Earth has been conquered. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Daleks have already conquered the Earth. I mean, this could be called Invasion Earth. But the invasions already happened mm. and the Daleks have already won by the time you arrive. I mean, I think that's such a fantastic idea for a Doctor Who story. And when you've got, I mean, adding a little bit of sort of, you know, like even the resistance base in uh, London, they were a little too cavalier about like triggering the light and walking. They just look <laughs> a little too relaxed. There's, you know, it's a very prim and proper base. It's clean. You know, everything's in its place. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, file those things over here. It's a very civilized <laughs> form of resistance that they're fighting. Uh, yes. And, and I think if they had gone more hardcore, I mean, we don't need to see, you know, Peter Cushing taking a shit. But, you know, if, if it had gone a little more dirty, a little more grim... Mm-hmm. Uh, it could have really accentuated that idea of not only a bombed out London, but uh, the Daleks haven't invaded and won. Yeah. It's no, over. That, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, like, you have this resistance force, and <laughs> they all seem rather chipper about it. Well, they're <laughs> British, right? Yeah, I, I, I understand <laughs> that. Yes, that's very true. You know, stiff upper lip. Um, but w- one of the things I'm sort of... I'm that you find interesting is you do you get the guy in the wheelchair who's clearly like this he's the like the determined one like he's like no we are not gonna get we are gonna do this like i've got the bombs and i've got this i've got that like straight away i sort of know he's gonna be the one that sort of sacrifices himself for the cause or whatever which is fine i, I like that because you get that character but in that case then you I, I was hoping there would be that counter the sort of you know um the Bill Paxton of aliens, like you know, it's uh, it's all over, man. It's all over. Like, you need. I wanted that counter, like someone. How is this not broken more people when they're like, mm. no, like I'm gonna give myself up to become a robot, man. They get food, shelter, mm-hmm. and you know, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're eating pellets. They're they're eating like M and M's that are <laughs> nutritional pellets. But yeah, I mean. You we know, don't know what it's like to be a robo man, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, you know, why is there no one that sort of like, you know, you? I think of things like the Matrix, where Cipher gives himself mm-hmm. back. He's like, you know, I know the stake isn't real, but I, I want to. Ignorance is bliss, and I was hoping there would be that character. And I don't know if there's one in the serial that's like, I'm done. Like, yeah, they've won. Like, there is no fight anymore. I'm giving myself up. Yeah, 
I don't I don't remember if there is one in the serial, but I mean, you're right. That would help illustrate it. I, I think that the serials do have uh, both of these serials have more of a sense of the dirtiness of yeah. this job at the same time. All of, I mean, if you remember the Aztecs, like there is a sort of kind of perfunctory. Now we're going into this room and having a conversation and that sort of artificiality is still there. Right. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, as as an American, I joke, but I do kind of watch this and think, right, that's that sort of like nationalistic representation of like, right, stiff upper lip, you know, keep calm, can carry on. You know, the Daleks have already won. Now we're a resistance fighter. You know, like the French would be like smoking, say, put on the board, they're the mad. You yeah. know, those fucking Daleks, we will all die. You know, but the Brits, well, yeah, right. This is what we're doing. <laughs> Here's the plan. Uh, we're going to be going at four thirty because at four we have tea, and uh, you know, and, and you know, Tom will be leading us. And yeah, I can imagine because that's the thing. Like Tom, Tom falls into line with all this so fast. Um, which but also, again, like the British version would be: half of you will die, the other half will probably lose your legs, and yeah. you know, we we go tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that you know that's the thing. Like, there is this British note, but one of the things I wanted to touch on about that. Okay, you, we go back to the end of this, and it's one of the things that look, when I, when I went back to thinking about why don't they go back to the start of this and, and help prevent this invasion. It's it's not, and I think they've done it because it's not in their lifetime. But there's like, Tom goes off to 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 protect or to to apprehend these criminals. And at no point, if this was a more, you know, let's say, not to say modern, but more modern, would end with that sort of like existential, you know, dread of what's the point of saving, of, of you know, these me stopping these criminals in 150 years? Like the the population of this planet is going to be wiped out by an alien invasion. Right. Like, what, like at no point, he just goes, "I'm getting promotion." <laughs> Well, I mean, and the other thing is the way he drives away with that smile on his face. I was very confused that, I mean, he, he, I was very confused by that. He punches the bank robber. I mean, he, he, yeah. well, uh, it's not even a bank, right? Um, it's a jewelry shop. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, he lets the burglary occur. Then he punches a guy through a window. And I'm thinking like, Okay, so I guess they have the jewels on them. So, you know, and at this point in time, they're going to believe the cop, right? There's no questions asked. And then he drives away and let's say, I guess he doesn't say I'm driving to the police station. <laughs> yeah, I almost there's this weird moment where I think is has he decided to like join them and be the getaway driver? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, this experience has driven him like manic and he's like, I've just clubbed these three men to death and I'm going to go live off the spoils on these, on these jewels. Screw it. It's like, fuck it. The world's coming to an end anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those weird things. Cause he does. He actually talks about, you know, being a promotion. He wants, I think you're supposed to insinuate he's taken to the police station. However, I can't get past the fact. I'm like, but you've just left a shop burning. Yeah. Like, you've yeah, let, that's true. You've literally just left the crime at the scene of the crime. Like, you're I guess not nobody's inside, but I yeah. mean, it's, you're not it's, checking, yeah, you're not checking for anybody in the building <laughs> for damage. Like there could be more jewels. Like there's a person that turns up at the, in the when it when it goes wrong the first time and he gets hit. There's a citizen that has more concern who says, mm. "Let's put out the fire and things." And I'm like, <laughs> he's 
he's a better constable than Tom ever is. Well, I mean, I think you make an excellent point. I mean, I, I love that he doesn't. He's he's not anguishing of like I've yeah. learned something. He's so focused on his promotion and so giddy with joy about it. Uh, I think what we've established is policeman Tom Campbell is just a raving psychotic. Yeah. That's yeah. the key to this. Yeah, no emotion about anything in this film. He just rolls through all of this and then he's like, Yeah, I got promotion, which means more money. Like, yeah. And then and happily in, in a weird way. Yeah. But isn't that just as myopic as as the uh, the two women living alone, right? Like, I yeah. mean, we one of the things that I like most about this is in that darkness. I mean, you're right that there's no resistant fighter who says, "What's the point of this? We've already lost." But you do have uh, the two women, and then you also have this guy who's, you know, essentially a, a profiteer who's selling oh, extra yeah. food, yeah. and he and he gets his comeuppance. He's killed by the Daleks. But um, he betrays humanity. And yeah. so you have at least three characters. You don't have kindly strangers who don't betray them along the way. Everybody betrays them. So there's this very cynical depiction of humanity at the same time that there's this very prim and proper resistance movement. Um, I mean, it's very confused with what it has to say about the human race. But then well, to end with like this myopic... Who cares about all of that? I got a promotion. All's well that ends well. Yeah. And he yeah. waves to the doctor, like, and the doctor, you know, and thumbs up. Thumbs up. You know, <laughs> good, good on you. That I was stunned at all of that. But you make you make a good point about um, the, the the two women in the house, and then the the profiteer. I forgot about the profiteer. One of the things I think, because again, there's a great moment when it's the doctor and and one of the 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 rebel rebel guys. And he, you know he's making like a, he's cooking a drink of tea or coffee or whatever, and he saw that smells good. He sort of help yourself, and as he leans in, he kicks it off the fire. Which I'm like, well, you're just a prick. Like you're just mean. But I was hoping, like again, like you know, this is the thing of like I find that the all the rebels, like the resistance, if you will, seem to be representative of like London working class. You know, they're they're all supposed to be in this thing of like you know they're no they are your regular Joes that make up the resistance. And I was so hoping that like when I met you meet this guy, because the, the you say the guy he's almost like the Spiv. So within World War Two, you know, these there were these guys called Spivs that uh they were sort of the black marketeers, you know. So if you ever get a chance to watch a sitcom uh from the seventies and I suppose the six and seventies called uh Dad's Army, um, which is about the home front so, and you know, but these were people that were too old or too young or whatever to join the actual army they became the home front and there's a character in that called walker who's a spiv and it's basically sort of like he makes up an excuse as to why he can't join the army but he's always got like you know i've got extra rations you know was it you looking for silk stockings oh, i can get you silk stockings mm-hmm. you know and then supposed to be that character so he, this guy feels like he would have that's what he, this, this character is, is tapping into you know this black marketeer this profiteer as you say but i was so hoping that they'd be making some some class uh, statement by having him be upper middle class or upper class, like you know, this is the guy that sort of like still goes around in a suit or something like you know. But you know, I, I was hoping for something like that. Nope, it doesn't seem to go. And I'm like, oh, this is a really good opportunity. What's it going to be? Oh, he's just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, so there are these like these these mirrors to World War Two uh, culture and society. 
and again you know you think about you university you talk about sort of those two women and i'm sure there were those ones that sort of that gave people up you know across europe to the nazis mm. in occupied france and stuff like you know Yes, we've got, you know, yes, we've got Jews hiding in our attic or yes, we've got parachuted in troopers hiding in our basement or whatever. There were these things I was thinking of, but I don't think that's what was being thought of by the right or director. Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to keep interrogating this. I mean, you know, especially this class issue and, and the World War Two parallel, because you're right that it's there. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the echo of the Blitz. You know, this this character of the Spiv, you know, the profiteer, which you know, I'm not familiar with that term. You know, we have a version over here, but it's different because we weren't the home front, you know. Mm. It was, um, but um, you see it in like Clue, right? The, yes. uh, uh But one of my favorite movies. But, um, you know, so there is this sort of like parallel to World War II, but it's not really pushed. Right. Mm. It's not direct. And in in Europe, I mean, certainly in France, if anything, like in occupied Europe, if anything, you would expect the Londoners, the city folk who are living with the Nazis to be the ones to give people mm. up in the countryside. You know, yeah, there are Nazi officers there, but there's like 10 to a town or something there's lots of stuff going on that they're constantly struggling to control. It's a much more tenuous administration. Yeah. Um, I find, and so, I mean, I find that it's very strange to me that these two women, I mean, first of all, women matronly, you don't expect them to be traitors, but also why are they not robo men? Mm. You have robo men minors. You can't have, Robo-men seamstresses? Yeah. Um, why do you yeah, need like, this country shack to like yeah. mend clothes? Yeah, who's who's making the the, P -U -P -P, the PVC outfits that the Robo-men are wearing? <laughs> um, it's a system of shacks in the yeah. countryside that the Daleks control. Yeah, this, 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 yeah, because this is the thing as well is, well, I oh, know, we'll get to them, uh, the motivations of things, but you're right, like, uh, the two women in particular, they feel like to me, like you say, that they're they're surviving by the skin of their teeth. Because one of the points that they make is they, it's overheard, isn't it? And they say, well, you know, well, we to I told you if we told them where they were, they'd give us more food. And they have this like basket of like fresh food, like she's eating a carrot and and uh, some other stuff. And so I'm like, okay, so who's growing that food? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. we've seen they only eat pellets, so. You know, it it still sort of is unclear, like this this whole sort of like how this relationship works and why they're keeping them alive. Because what other purpose do they serve? No, uh, I mean it do, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think it's it's pretty clear that that food was grown at the farmer's shack down the road, and their clothes are supplies by the seamstress shack. I mean, it's just the shacks all the way down. You know, yeah, the, the Dalek economy <laughs> is based on the shack system. But the, but this is where, like, going back to this idea of um, the motivation of the Daleks. So if we were going to have a World War... And this is why I think sometimes the Cybermen work better uh, as a sort of a Nazi stand-in. Because the Daleks were about extermination. They're mm -hmm. just like, everyone that's not a Dalek is going to exterminate. 
Um, but the the Cybermen is about assimilation. Like the Borg, like you said, it's about the fact that we know you will, we will absorb you and your culture and everything. Um, but there's no sort of clear motivation for what the Daleks actually want in this film. They've like invaded Earth, and then I'm like, and they, they seem to be doing something with the with the with the Earth's core. But I'm like, I don't know what the end goal is. I'll, I'll tell you what the end goal is. Okay, they say it. Yeah, um, but it won't help. You don't understand anything. Is it mentioned in the film? Did I yes, it know? is. Okay. So what they want to do, I mean, I cannot believe the words coming out of my mouth. Their plan is to drop that bomb to hollow out the metal at the Earth's core yes, so that they can go down there and start flying the Earth That's like right. a giant ship, and they're going to fly it back to Skaro. Because I guess they want a non-ruined planet near the room. I mean, that's because the gravitational mass of the Earth is best piloted from its center. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's so insane. I remember this now because I'm, th- I'm now picturing the bomb that mm. is hanging there. And again, this is a you know where I'm sort of looking at that big bomb, and I'm like, you know, all right, I've seen pictures of you know big boy. And yeah. Batman uh, you know, and, and Little Boy, yeah. Yeah, and I'm going like, I've seen pictures of these these nuclear bombs that were dropped in Japan, and I'm seeing parallels here. Mm-hmm. And I'm, but like, I'm saying, so I'm, I, and I'm like, I, I am going like, am I, am I the only one that's seeing this? I'm, I, I, I want to be looking around the room, going like, no, everyone else is seeing these World War Two <laughs> parallels, but no one on the set seems to have <laughs> have registered them. Um. And so, yeah, it just feels like this missed opportunity. And again, like, I, I don't think that's what they were going for. This is an entertainment film. This is a, an ad- adaptation of a TV serial. But from what you're saying, it sounds like the TV serial took it more seriously and gave it more depth than the film ever well, intended. It's got more time. I do think yeah. it works better. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, you're right. I mean, that the Fat Man Bomb sort of parody is there. Oh, not parody, but parallel is there. But... It seems as if there are these World War II parallels. I mean, you know, you mentioned about the Nazis. I mean, I sort of feel like the Cybermen are, um, you know, the fascists from the inside point of view, mm. right? That's, they can brainwash you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they will turn a good citizen into a card-carrying Nazi. The Daleks are the Nazis seen from without. Yeah. Uh, you know, they want to, what they want to do is exterminate what is racially inferior, you mm. know? So, um, so I mean, there are these parallels, but it doesn't seem in control of those mm. parallels or that there's a coherent scheme to what it's presenting. Um, and, you know, you know, for example, that bomb, you know, it's deflected by a bunch of boards that you <laughs> could just tear off the wall. And I find myself thinking like, you know, <laughs> The Daleks who have flown across. I mean, it's one of these moments where you say, like, right, they've flown across interstellar space, but they need seamstresses in the countryside, and their tunnel to the center of the earth is made out of wood. Yeah. Who has built this? I mean, this is where, and I often think this, and I think when we did our 50s movies as well, I thought this as as was, I think we may have mentioned it, and I find it charming in a lot of respects. (laughs) Yeah. Is when you have a future or an alien 
uh, representation that is limited by the technology and scientific understanding of the time in which it was made. So we watch this now and go, yeah, like who? Who built this? Like, how does this work? Was it a drill? Was it this? Like, you know, and if you watch a, sh a film now, they'll be like, oh, they'll explain that. They have like a laser mm -hmm. or they have a big drill or they've got something. Like they've got, well, we've addressed that, move on. But I guarantee there'll be films in like 50, 60 years. You know, the people in 50, 60 years will be watching films from the 70s and also the, 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 you know, the 90s and the early 2000s and going like, yeah, they really didn't have a clue, did they, about how this works? But like, it, it but it, it's the, the the wooden board that 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 did make me laugh because I'm like that thing must weigh a ton like you know and some some like fence panels <laughs> seem to stop it. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's used like it's a pinball. Clearly, yeah. the pinball is what they're thinking there, <laughs> yeah. and and it's so bizarre. And then there's, I mean, it bounces off that forty five degree angle sort of boards down this other shaft mm. why is the other shaft there <laughs> is that access for the workers that built this i mean you know i mean the other thing that you say this about technology and of course you're right you know and what strikes us as a problem is defined by what we we know about science and mm -hmm. you know what what's considered common knowledge but in the 60s they knew <laughs> they knew <laughs> that you know, gravity increased as you yeah. near the center of the Earth, such that a drill or anything. I mean, it seems as if it's kind of being done by hand by workers, right? Would kill a human being, certainly, yeah. and collapse a drill. Also, that probably the center of the Earth was molten, was not solid, hardened metal. Um, and that the magnetic fields of the Earth I mean, it seems as if if you deflect the pinball down the shaft, you hit the magnetic bumper in the pinball yeah. game and the <laughs> yeah. Earth's magnetic fields go crazy. You know that Earth's magnetic fields are tied to that giant molten mass of magnified metal, right? I mean, that's the theory. That's not a problem here. Nope. I, it's all all the fact that in, in many respects, like I say, the, the, the rotation of the Earth and the fact that the atmosphere... That, that, that is then pulled to the Earth that allows us to believe is also held in place a lot of the times by that rotation and the magnetic fields. Yeah, you want to mess with them? Like none of that exists. <laughs> we no well, longer become a sustainable planet. We become a rock that the Daleks are driving through space, cackling away. Like it makes no sense. And and don't forget the magnetic field has a localized effect. Like yeah. you know, it it causes Dal. I mean, it is cool like seeing Daleks. Some of them kind of crumple against the wall and. You know, mm, that's quite cool. Yeah. And, and some of them are pulled through a wall and then another falls down the shaft. But then you think, well, why is it crumpling one <laughs> and somebody else who's closer to the bomb is just pulled down the shaft? And why is it only affecting this area? Like you said, you fucked with the magnetic field. Probably not a good idea. No. Well, the thing is, you've said like, yeah, it's affecting Daleks. Like, how, how do we? Why are they made of? They are from Scaro. So, are they made from a, a mineral that's magnetic? Apparently so. What about all the men that are wearing sort of steel belt buckles, <laughs> and and they've got and the like, flying you know, saucer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not any of that? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, not to mention, you know, I mean humans and you know this is affecting the brain at all yeah. no that's not important you hit the magnetic bumper and that gives yeah. you a win 
<laughs> yeah. It is very. But having said this, I mean, all of this is a problem. Uh, but, you know, it's it's like you cannot think about a scene and not point out some terrible, terrible, terrible problem with it. Yeah. And yet it's fun to watch, right? It, it I mean, is. Like, it's, it's fun. I'm, I'm trying to find an example. Like, I was actually thinking about this um, the, the other day. There Because there are films that like, I was thinking about, like, if I was to do, like, a top 100. And I was like, there's a difference between my top 100 favourite films and then, like, the top 100 films of all time. You know, like... Mm-hmm. I recognise there's a difference. Favorite versus best, right? Yeah, like my yeah, yeah my yeah, like, yeah my favorite movies are still like the best films of all time. And I was I was it sort of applies to this where you're like oh yeah this is not a good film, right? Like you say the plot barely makes sense. The acting is uneven at times. The special effects aren't great. The ending makes no sense. It brings up all kinds of issues. However, it has a charm throughout. And an energy that just seems to carry it to make it work um, enough that I'm like, yeah, no, I enjoyed that. You know, like, yeah, no, I feel the same way. And how many times have we, you know, discussed movies in which there's something like the Daleks or there's something like Cybermen or some alien threat. And we wind up saying this should be funner than it is. Mm. Right. Like, you've got aliens that look like insects. That should be fun, yet it just falls flat. Here, you've got Daleks and you've got a devastated Earth. This is great pulpy stuff, and it works, and Mm. it's fun. That fun comes through. And, you know, you're right about charm, but I think even more than, than just, you know, a sort of whimsical charm, I mean, even even just as a side, even even the soundtrack doesn't work. <laughs> you get battles, yeah. and, and I'm thinking, this sounds like the music from, um, you know, at the same time, the the Batman TV series. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a little goofy, and maybe that's due to Cribbins and, you know, the play. But, I mean, like, even that is off. But somehow, I still love seeing those dialogues mowing down people, and there's so much that, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? That if you, mm. if, if you have this alien, you have this threat, you have a devastated Earth, that should be fun and work. And somehow it just does here. Yeah. It does. I mean, it, it, pulpy is what, when you say pulpy, is exactly right. Like, this is pulp entertainment. Like, you know, they're plugging mm. into some of the most basic uh, ideas, you know, that idea of the resistance and sort of like, you know, taking on the, the oppressor. Like, it's all fine it's all sort of like it all sort of um works in that respect yeah and i think that's part of it that it just on a basic entertainment note it works you know it's it's fine it's when you start to dig at it a little bit it starts to fall apart and again, I think you like really have to dig i mean no that's going to the center you know no but i think that's the that's sort of the problem i have with it that the moment it finishes is the well, not even when it finishes, like you know, the moment as you said, like the moment a scene ends, I'm like, hang on, like that. Yeah, like the, 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 a great example is the one where, where um, Wyler and the um, and Susan are escaping in that van. 
Mm-hmm. Like, there's moments in that that are cool. Like, there's a bit where the, the front window shatters. So he gets a brick and smashes it out. And I'm like, okay. And then he sort of you have him sort of swerving as they're getting through the Daleks and stuff. And because they're now shooting gas, I'm like, great. They haven't got lasers. So he's just going to avoid them. And overall, like, watching it, and he hits them a few of them. I'm like, oh, this, that, that's pretty cool. That's a good idea. And then you sort of think back and you go, yeah, but I clearly saw like shards of balsa wood and I saw <laughs> it and I saw caster wheels. And I'm like, Ugh. and all of a sudden you're like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work mm. on, on sort of the moment you think about it. And so it's a bit, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's like eating something. That you know is going to taste good because you're like you know or you don't know and you go well this bit of pie looks good I bet oh that's sweet and then going but there's something else in there that I'm not sure I like <laughs> and you sort of like, I, I get this sort of aftertaste where I'm like this thing you know not like, sort of I watch it and go well that's, that's quite good fun and then you watch and then I think about it for two seconds and go but the production crew clearly didn't give a shit about anything that's going on yeah. And it sort of sour, it sours it a little bit for me. Well, that scene uh, of the sort of fight on the street and the escape in that in that sort of like little red van thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, w- which is quite charming to me. Um, you know, I have sort of conflicted feelings about that scene from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, including the the guy in the wheelchair, you know, coming out. They're in a garage and he just rolls out into the street for no reason whatsoever and sees Daleks coming and decides, I feel like dying today and rolls at them and throws grenades. (laughs) And, 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 you know, I watch that and I think, you know, right away, why are you going into the street? Oh, look, there are Daleks coming. You made a terrible decision. I can't care about this because you did this for no reason. And then I think, Oh, you know, it was nice seeing those grenades go off and, you know, you sort of see the the wheel spinning and I think, well, that's not very well done. I don't really see the trajectory of the building that's going to cause that collapse. But, you know, in the sort of like Ed Wood, don't mind the details. Mm. I quite like that they did this. It's dark and interesting. And then they take off in the red car. And I think this is crazy. You know, you're using like the least macho vehicle possible you know like you're you you know to to do this but it's cute in a sort of like i'm an american watching a british movie kind of way like we would never have done that at any point in our history (laughs) but that's it's so charming and i think daleks are on the street and then it kind of gets good and then it gets bad Mm. and and i and i sort of feel like so i don't have as much like just the aftertaste thing i sort of feel like yeah, all of this is this mixture of oh, that's that's fun, that's embarrassing, that's fun, that's embarrassing. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. It's yeah, it's that sort of swing. And I think the thing I think generally, having not seen this in so long, and having this sort of like again, not not like a huge nostalgic connection to it. Like I'm, I'm not going back and going like oh, this is my childhood, like sort of thing. <laughs> Nothing like that. But there was a thing of my expectation was like. Oh, the Doctor, you know, in the first one, like, elite, the Doctor, he's not a dynamic character in the sense he's running around. He's clearly not, he's an older guy. But at least he's he's doing things. Like, he's sat there going, like, well, I've invented the wheel, and I've done this, and I've done, you know. 
you know, he, he was an intricate part of a part, or at least one of the threads of that Aztec story. In this, I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing what this Doctor's like. Completely ineffectual, and I think that disappointment sort of hit me as well. Where I was like, oh, the Cushing Doctor could be cool. You know, and I'm, and I'm back thinking like this is the guy that played like Van Helsing as well as like Victor Frankenstein, and you know I've known him being like doing all this stuff. Like you know, how cool would it be if like you know the voice of the Daleks was Christopher Lee? That'd be really cool. Like, yeah. it, and then you get there and you're like, oh, he he is literally just playing an old man. Like he's playing it like um, you know the nutty professor kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, although even flatter than that yeah i mean what what strikes me is this is peter cushing he should jump he should pop right somehow hartnell has more of a force of personality like even in those like the garden scenes in the aztecs i have a sense of his character uh i sort of want to watch that character cushing is just disappears into every scene he's in and that's the real problem is like that feels like why they bring in um tom Mm -hmm. you know they've brought in this character to be this thing of going like right well we've got a new character and he's going to be the sort of like the action jackson kind of character he's going to do all the stuff and then you bring in a comedy actor and you're just like well no where's (laughs) like where's the the, you know you, you needed that role and like you said to pop and have that personality and you know, um, even his costuming, and you know, again, you look at the the heart, uh, the heart or the doctor. Yes, he's not wearing a long scarf or a silly hat or anything like that, but like he has a very definitive outfit. And even like the, but the Peter Cushing one is literally just wearing a brown suit. Mm-hmm. Like it's very dowdy, and he's they've, they've really lent into like this sort of like grandfatherly figure. And you sort of saw this part of me going like, this is the person that's invented this time machine that involves not just the traveling through time, but is able to sort of to warp the dimensions of a of an object to have something that's larger on the inside than it is on the outside. Like, what? Like, where's the zaniness? Where's the sort of like you know? Because this is obviously before the Gallifreyan stuff had come in at, the, at this point. Like, they hadn't, they didn't have that yet. Um, and before the zany kind, kind of comedy stuff, yeah. Uh, but like you'd, you'd have at least have something, like you say, some yeah. force of personality. And he is; he's just he's just almost absent throughout every scene. He's just there. Yeah, it's like they've tried to make him as mundane and and not unique as possible. Yeah, in a weird way, which is a really bizarre choice. And that when you get to like bizarre choices seems to be the sort of the 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 pull of the day for this. Where they're like, you know, like you said, like every choice they make is just bizarre. Um, well, and uh, yeah, you you mentioned uh, you know that he has created the TARDIS, and you know, so we should say that in this version, the Doctor has is just a guy, right, mm. who's created the TARDIS, and and that's not incommensurate with what we get on the show at this point but uh clearly on the show he's an alien we just don't know anything about him yet but here yeah. he's just a scientist who's introduced in the first movie as having created this and and that comes down to other bits and pieces like you know where we're going oh that's great you know in the show you can you, there's new bits of information i think because it's a serial you pick up things as you go <laughs> 
with this i'm never you know because it's a single film there's no continuation so i'm like mm-hmm. if that character's never going to be anything other than than what he is and so I'm, I'm often like throughout the film i'm just like oh this is what they're presenting like, this is your only opportunity to do this <laughs> this is what you're giving me so it feels i feel that flatness more than like if you had a TV series and you're like, okay, in this series or for these four episodes, the doctor will take a step back and the companion will be a bit more of a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Fine. Because that works in a TV show. In a film it's called Dr. Who. <laughs> <laughs> you want him to be at the forefront. Like, if, you know, and that's sort of the, the, the concern or the, the issue I had. Now, in fairness, this isn't called Dr. Who. Uh, no. You know, the first one, the first film is Doctor Who and the Daleks. This one is just Daleks Invasion yes. Earth 2150. Doctor Who ain't important anymore. You know, this is Daleks. This is the Dalek movie. Yes, I agree. And that becomes quite evident. That, like, and I, I, I need to go back and watch that first one because I didn't get a chance to watch the first one. And I think I do. I want to go back and watch that first one to make that comparison to go, Oh, they made a, an active decision to shift the attention around on the Doctor. But yeah, I don't know. It it, it just comes to that point where I'm like, I've, you know, it's, it it happens. This film sort of happens, and at the end of it, I go, eh, it's all right. But there's 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 so little for me to grasp onto, which I was disappointed at. Where I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to sort of getting into this thing of this movie version. It leads it leads me to a final question. But I don't know what were your sort of thoughts, or you know. Any, any sort of final thoughts in that respect, really? Well, I, I don't know what to say about that, except to say that, and this is true of the serials too, that I remember the plot, uh, like I mentioned, like the, the swamp, I sort of remember Scaro, I, I dig Scaro, you know, I dig, you know, that, that plot better. I think for this, in both the serial I remember a little more of the serial, but, you know, both the serial and this movie version, I remember the sort of bombed out London. And I mm. remember like the Daleks having one. I don't remember anything about the mine. I don't remember yeah. anything about, you know, that resistance. room. I just remember, you know, the Daleks having taken over and that sort of like bombed out ruin environment that they're moving about in and, and skulking about in. Um, I did want to say that, and and so as you say, like as we finish this movie, I sort of finish the movie and I say, right, well, you know, what am I going to take away from that? I'm mm. going to take away Daleks Invasion Earth 2150. They conquered Earth and you have presented that. Um, but I wanted to say that, you know, in terms of them sort of like not caring or not really thinking things through, the one quote that I've got to cite is... As it's in that sequence as they've arrived at 2150 and they think, oh, yeah, we should explain how it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> and the doctor says, um, you know, just as time is regarded as the fourth dimension, space is the fifth dimension. <laughs> and I just think, oh, my God, you know, yeah. it's the three dimensions of space that yeah. makes time. The fourth dimension, you're the scientist who made this. That that was a real I I oh yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot it but that was a real stumper when he said that because I thought the same I'm like no like the I thought exactly I was like 
No, like length, breadth, depth. The first, they're the three dimensions that make up space. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you think the first three dimensions are like uh, air, water, and earth or something? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Yeah. I often treat people in their humeruses, you know, fire, earth, in. <laughs> Yeah, it, that that was a bit of a stumper to me. And I think, like you say, this it's littered with these things of dialogue and choices where you just go, oh, they don't, they don't give a monkeys, or they do, but like they're not enough, or they're not, they know enough that they're going to say something, but they're not going to research it. You know, there's no one going to go back to like, you know, get pull out the Britannica Encyclopedia Britannica and go like, okay, what does actually this mean? Well, I mean, look, let's not dignify this by calling it research, okay? We're yeah. talking about piloting, knowing that space is the first three dimensions and piloting the Earth from a hollowed-out core, okay? It, it's there's silly. no research needed. No, it, it, that, that whole, the whole purpose of that is silly. Because, again, you're like, well, why Earth? Like, you know, we've got other actual... If you, you know, you've actually got other planets now, so you can have Mars. Like, we're not doing anything with it. Have it, you know? There's a bit of that going on that I'm like, this this feels ridiculous. Um, so, but one of the final questions I want to get to, and it sort of it, it jumped to mind whilst I was watching this, because I then thought about, and we're not going to do it, but it, it keeps crossing my mind, is the 1990s TV movie that introduced Paul McGann as um, the sort of like the, the reboot Doctor, when they tried to uh, introduce it as an American show. American Doctor. Yeah. Um but one of the things to think about, and I, I was curious, is could you ever do a full-blown Doctor Who movie? And would it have to be in canon? Well, I mean, I, I'd like to see it. Mm. Uh, it's been talked about over the years. Um, I certainly think that um, the revived show has done multi-part episodes and specials that I think, I mean, I've been to movie theaters and watched. Uh, have you? Yes, I have. Oh, um, I'd love to do that. No, it's cool seeing, you mm. know, a Doctor Who special in a theater. Um, except when it's bad, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> why yeah. did I do this? Mm. Um, but, no, that's quite cool, and I think that you could, I think of, like, the sort of, you know, Davies finale and, and stuff like this. I think that would play quite well in a movie theater. And if you do it with a little better budget, great. Um, and I, one of the things I love about Doctor Who is that it's all canon and they haven't done a hard reboot, uh, even if there are contradictions along the way. Yeah. Um, and I don't like that these two films are, you know, non-canonical. Well, what about you? Be, they could always be an alternative verse. Well, funny enough, the reason it popped into my head once I watched this, because I was thinking, like you know, like you said, this isn't canonical. This is a sidestep. It was done much like the Quatermass things. It was a BBC property that was then bought and made into an adaptation. And I was like thinking, are oh, there others that have done that? And then I was, but then I then watched Star Trek V, which in and of itself is a discussion we may have at some point in the future. Uh, I don't mind it. You know, it's mm -hmm. silly. It's got some real sort of things in it. Shatner doing Shatner. Uh, sorry, Shatner directing Shatner. Um, so. But I was thinking that, like, that seems to me, though I was watching it going, like, you had Star Trek and all the bits and pieces, you know, then you had the motion picture and then two, three, four, and five, six, and so on. So you got to Generations. And then what the, I was reading the trivia, and obviously five and six came out at the same time as Next Gen being on television. Mm -hmm. So you also got these two running treks. And again, like, that's not a hard reboot. It's sort of like, 
No, it's mm-hmm. continue. It's just a jump forward in time. And so I was thinking, I was like, could you do that? Because technically you could have, you know, people, there's writers that are clever enough. You could say, do you know what? We're going to do a movie with the David Tennant doctor. Right. Yeah, that would be the parallel. This is just a story. We're, we're, you know, this story just happened in, the, in, the, in that iteration. And if you're clever enough, it can be, a, it can be a, you know, like an isolated story, but you tell it over two hours, but you're going to give you a massive budget. And we're going to tell you're going to tell a tenth do- doctor or any doctor. Well, obviously not all of them. You couldn't pull, but you know, I don't want a, a CGI. <laughs> um, well, you know, you could do something shit like that where you could go. Do you know what? I'm going to kind of. We could do a Marth Tarkin and bring back like you know Hartnell or or, or Troughton and all of them have them all on screen in one big go because uh, mm-hmm. they sort of did it in with the eleventh Doctor when they saved Gallifrey and all that and had them all the different Tardises. Mm-hmm. Besides the point, but. I was thinking, like, yeah, you could just go, yeah. Do you know what? We're going to tell an eleventh Doctor story. Happens in his, it happened in his regeneration. You know, it's not, it doesn't impact the wider arc of that original Doctor, but it was this massive story that was told on this other planet. Like, you know, I, I would have it in space, I'd have it in time, and just have a really good adventure story, and just do something that, but have like a massive. Um, it just felt like you could do that, and you could have like, right, we're gonna do, now we do a twelfth yeah. Doctor one or whatever. I'll tell you what my problem is with that. Um, it's that the idea of going back and inserting stuff into past Doctors. Yes, there's a tone and a feel to that material, and you know, if you went back and you and you did that, and you know, I make sort of like continuity guy, and I'm a sort of like reading order guy. Mm. I'm a like editor by nature. And I think, right. So that episode or that movie has to be placed between episodes. If you watch them in order, that's going to make, you know, Battlestar Galactica, the plan look like it was well thought out, you know? Um, You know, this is, this is not what I want because of, even though obviously there are, you know, Episodes going back to like the three doctors and stuff, as you said, you know, mm. all the TARDIS is being there. Um, that somehow feels okay. Like, you know, yeah. but it doesn't feel okay to me to go back and do that. But I think you could do it with the current doctor. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with a <laughs> flabbergasting big episode. One of the things I thought about, uh, again, you know, because I did think about that, and because and, and, I then thought, and this is another question, is like going back to this is a side piece before it became a franchise before it became a tv franchise these films exist and then as you say they've now got things like you know there's the books uh, but more importantly than the books is the audio dramas mm-hmm. and i forget the name of the company that does them um big finish big finish thank you uh, and they've done all kinds of things that are that are in and i will put an invert in canon but like exist outside of the tv universe so if you want to understand sort of like um, I don't know the the more of the ninth Doctor before he met Rose, or you want to know this and that. Like, yeah, you can go and have those stories exist. Like they've done that. Eccleston came back and did one, or mm-hmm. Tennant did a bunch, or Smith Matt Smith did a bunch. You've got those in place, and so could you do this? But you can ignore those in the same in a way you probably couldn't ignore a film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're right, but the, 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 it's literally coming up to the 60th anniversary. Very soon, next year, twenty twenty three. Um, is it sixty three? 
Am I right? 62 or 63? Yeah, 63, because it was yeah. right around Kennedy's death. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're blaming Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a conspiracy theory I've not heard yet. Um, but yeah, um, you you could have that as like the 60th anniversary. Like, yeah, we're going to go big budget. Like, we're going to do... Because uh, one of the things that's been suggested is, and I think the BBC may even do this, is that have a big blowout and then have a break again for a couple of years. You know, let it stew for a bit. I don't know. We'll see. But I would love that with, you know, with, with Davies coming back, have a new Doctor, and then just have, like, a, a big budget international released film. I think, you'd, I think you would do... Be crazy, almost crazy not to, because what you're doing is, if it's well done and you give it a load of money... Who is you know? This, it could introduce new fans. It would take you back to classic doctors. It would introduce to the you know, new who everything. It just feels like a bit of a a no brainer. But well, I mean, I'd like to see that for the anniversary, and it might be a good way of launching you know the revived Davies thing. Yeah. On the other hand, I think that it's possible that what they they need is to rebuild yeah. and go through a period of rebuilding and. Davies has talked about, and apparently the BBC is interested in sort of building a shared universe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Torchwood kind mm. of ended on a cliffhanger. I'd love yeah. to see more of that. I enjoyed, I, hands up, I love Torchwood. I thought it was I do too. It was good fun. That. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of hit or miss, but yeah. about half of it is damn good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see more of that. I think that, you know, Davies can come up with it. I mean, you could do a... a you know, a series long thing with the doctor's daughter, which was never mm. followed up on, you know, um, except in audio stuff. Mm. Uh, but I mean, you could do all of that and then you could build back up and maybe for the 65th anniversary or something, do the crossover, like big coming Movie out version. thing. Yeah. yeah. It'd be interesting. I, I think it's something worth thinking about. It just, cause the other thing that struck that I just remembered <clears throat> BBC, the BBC don't have, full ownership of Doctor Who. Um, the BBC have dis full distribution and I think something else <clears throat> to do with merchandising. However, Bad Wolf is the name yeah. of the production company. And Bad Wolf was bought up by someone in the last 12 months. They were bought by Sony. Oh, really? Yes. And that's a very interesting sort of thing. So Sony technically owns... You could have Spider-Man appearing in Doctor oh. Who. <laughs> Just saying. But Sony, you know, they are looking for their... They keep saying they're looking for... You know, they're either out. They're either going to be out of the movie business or they're looking for their big franchise. Besides Spider-Man. Besides Spider-Man. That's why Ghostbusters came back. That's why they've done other things with Venom and, and Mobi Mo you know, Mobius, all this kind of stuff. They're looking for it. Wouldn't surprise me, you know. Yeah, I don't know how much confidence I have, you know, but uh, it would be interesting. Mm. Um, you know, and there's a lot of, I mean, the other thing is I think that, I mean, I, I don't know, because Doctor Who, I don't know how you pitch Doctor Who to, you know, uh, to the Chinese, right? I mean, how do you say, okay. <laughs> It's a very, very British alien who flies around in a 60s-style police yeah. box. You know, what is a police box? I don't know. I think you're wrong. Yeah. I think you're wrong. I think this is where, like, 
good you know this is where you you find the marketing and you, you've hit the nail on the head like there's a charm factor this like the japanese in particular love all this that i mean they are big sci-fi nuts they you know they will grab hold of things and do amazingly bizarre things like you know um you know and and i think i think there's, i mean i would not be surprised if there isn't quite a strong doctor who fan base in japan anyway like you know that i can imagine it doing well over there maybe other parts of europe might you know thingy but like i think i think you'd be wrong i think like you know you could sell this in that weird way you know keep your doctor keep your british doctor and get someone with a bit of have a sexy doctor right seriously think bond. sexy doctor hashtag yeah hashtag my sexy doctor um get someone with a bit of sex appeal like you know but or, or quirky you know but think like just think how the hell did they sell harry potter you know james bond james Bond's slightly different but it could be that same thing as harry potter but you bring in a couple of notes for the film version that one outing you have bring in some big names you know have your doctor be whoever it's going to be your sexy doctor and their companion and then you bring in some big names for that adventure you are going to have um i don't know I think I can't think of anybody celebrities right now, but like, who's hot right now? You know, that would that would would do would do well. You know, Elba, right? Yeah, wanted to, yeah. wanted to be Bond. You know, yeah, bring in, ha- yeah, uh, uh, have him play a Bond-like character in the film. You know, uh, you could do all kinds or of things. Or be a one-off doctor. You know, for yeah, yeah. You know, you could do you could do these kinds of things. There, there was so much opportunity to do things, or have him play like a Gallifreyan. Mm-hmm. If you want a shared universe, like he's not going to be the Doctor, yeah. but he can be another Gallifreyan. You know, I, I do think that the Gallifreyans are, uh, you know, I mean, they've been used well yeah. here and there. Uh, I have problems with their depiction and and how often Gallifrey gets destroyed and brought yeah. back. Uh, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> Uh, just as much, just as much as London seems to get invaded uh, somehow. <laughs> yes, and and all aliens really <laughs> love destroying Big Ben, you know, yeah. Parliament. That's their number one target. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that you could do a Gallifrey, like a more hard sci-fi Gallifreyan mm-hmm. thing, and let the Doctor be a sort of quirky Guardians of the Galaxy-ish, like you know. Yes, it's a it's a police exactly. doctor. It's, but yeah. it's Guardians. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not saying do look at yeah, like a James Gunn kind of thing, but you, you, Guardians no. of the Galaxy would be a really good, you know, example yeah. of how, that's that's how I'd sell it to the to the execs. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be a British Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what we're going to do. Think Harry Potter, but with in Guardians of the Galaxy, and they'd be like, oh, money, 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 money. There yeah, see, no, that's the pitch. You 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 should be a pitch guy because yeah. that's the, that's the pitch. <laughs> Right. Anyway, I think we've wrapped up. We got. I wanted to talk about that because I felt this felt like an opportunity to talk about that sideways uh, angle for Doctor Who before we go back into the TV shows. Well, and this movie is a glimpse of a different period in Doctor Who history, where you know where Doctor Who was still new. There was mm-hmm. still one Doctor, and so if you're going to adapt it, you recast. There's nothing wrong with making him a human who's just a scientist and getting on with the story um, and having that story feed this sort of fad for Daleks, Dalek mania mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we forget now. I mean, I think that, it, you know, we think of Doctor Who as Doctor Who, 
but I mean, Doctor Who was Doctor Who, and the Daleks really. I mean, it was that serial that took yeah, off yeah. and made Doctor Who. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if, like, yeah, the, <clears throat> you know, if you really wanted to hit that sixty zeitgeist, the Beatles riding Daleks through uh-huh. London, I think would have been <laughs> would have been exactly what you wanted to see. Um, okay, yes, but you're right. That this is the time, and I, I like the fact this has taken them to those sideways because it's hard to do with the rest. But this felt like a good area to sort of explore that that sideways universe for for the for, for the Doctor. I want to skip the Beatles. Can we just go back to like the Dalek invasion, say 1997, with a, and do a Spice Girls movie? And even better, yeah. <laughs> they sing at such a pitch that the resonance destroys the Daleks. <laughs> there you go. God. <laughs> the end of like Mar- Mars attacks or, you know, like uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. There you go. I've saved the franchise. <laughs> right. Anyway, we are moving on with doctors. We're going to move into this. Is, we've now sort of done the first, uh, uh, you know, generation. This first iteration of Doctor Who, of course, sort of like you know, um, um, Hartnell did suffer from you know because of his age and you know his lies, and they did replace him with uh, Troughton. Uh, what's his first name? God damn it! I'm going to, have to double check. No, that was later. That was the yeah, uh, Patrick Troughton. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, he sort of joined in '65, so he'd actually already started because this film came out '66, so they actually already had the the regeneration. Uh, oh no, it was sorry '66. Yeah, so '66. So this the, he moved on to come around in '66, same year this came out. So we are going to be going next to the uh, Macra Terror. Now, what I will say is this is going to be an interesting one. So we are going to be covering some of this stuff off because the Macra Terror technically doesn't exist. The, mm. the video for it, for the majority of it, the vast majority of it, was lost. and But the audio remained and was polished up, and they did an animated um, redo of it um, that has been released. And so this is obviously regarded as, a, as one of the Troughton um, best stories, but also allows us to go back and look at one of these lost series and how they restored it. And I think that's another good thing to see about how these series have been restored from us, you know, because these things were lost. They were never, they were never maintained. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I know nothing about this next one or the animation. So it's going to be quite exciting to see, I think. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen this either. I have seen some of these animations. Yeah, it is Patrick. Mm. Where, where I feel like we, we just lost all Doctor Who respect. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, I, I have seen some of these animations and a lot of the second Doctor stuff is is disproportionately missing. Mm. Um, but yeah, and it was it was September, it was November. Uh, the end of the 10th planet is 29 October 66. Yeah. The first regeneration. Yeah. So yeah, so this goes into 66. So it, we're into 67 now. So we're going into that sort of between 67 or 66 and 69 is uh, the, the Patrick Troughton years. So yes. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us on our trip in the mm. TARDIS. We're going to be maintaining this into the next episode. Uh, but if you like what we're doing, and uh, or you want to tell us that we you have lost all respect for us and our, and our Doctor <laughs> Who knowledge, please go on to your podcast catcher and uh, leave a review uh any any number of stars preferably five uh and it helps us on the charts and gets us sort of noticed by more and more people but if you really like what we're doing please check out our patreon uh patreon.com 20cg media there'll be a link down below in the, in the notes and on that julian and i do a twilight zone trekking through the twilight zone podcast uh, episode by episode going through those original 
Rod Serling episodes. And we'll continue off to all the others as well, um, doing all kinds of things where they were remade and talking about every single one. I also do a 30-minute thoughts a month, and I get creators in on a quarterly basis to talk about their art and their creations, which is a fascinating conversation. <clears throat> but ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you very much uh, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you at some of the time and space. Thank you very much. <laughs>